Hello and welcome to Fair Game, the podcast with a firm focus on Irish sportswomen, coming to you on the Tall Tales Podcast Network. I'm Emily Glenn. And I'm Shauna Cook. On this episode, we're going to be meeting one of the true talents of Irish women's sport. Back in the day when Fair Game was founded, one of the goals was to tell the tales of Irish sportswomen that maybe aren't the most well-known. And today's guest has quite the tale and we're excited to be chatting with her today. Before we get to our guest, we have a little bit of housekeeping to take care of. After two years of recording the Fair Game podcast on the Headstuff Podcast Network, the time has come for Fair Game to move on. We're joining the Tall Tales Podcast Network. We want to just take a moment and thank the guys in Headstuff, the brains behind the operation, Alan, and the producers we've worked with, especially Brian and Paddy. We've really loved working with you and appreciated and still appreciate how much love you had for the podcast. We have many, many big plans for the Fair Game Media Empire and we're really excited to be working with a team of female producers and hosts here in Tall Tales HQ. Uh, They really see our vision and we already feel really welcome and supported here. So you can now find the back catalogue of Fair Game episodes on talltales.ie as well as as where you've always found them on iTunes, Android, Stitcher and Spotify. And don't forget, if you enjoy the podcast, do us a favour, rate and review it on your app of choice. Sharing episode links on Twitter, Facebook and Insta goes a long way to help us spread the word. So send it on to friends, family and clubmates who you think might enjoy it. And follow us on Twitter and Insta at Fair Gamecast to stay up to speed on everything happening in women's sport on and off the field. So joining us in the Fair Game hot seat is a woman who won her first senior world title at 16 years of age. She is a multi-sport athlete who has accumulated quite the collection of world and European accolades representing Ireland in both kickboxing and karate. She is fighting fit to represent Ireland in Tokyo 2020 and we're very excited to chat about the story so far and what the future has in store for Cara O'Donovan. Welcome to Fair Game. Thanks Emil for having me. Cara, you're just back from the 54th Senior European Karate Championships. Your tournament was cut short due to injury. How's the arm? It's a little bit sore, but it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. So obviously very disappointing to be out early. Um, but I guess I'm lucky that the injury isn't going to keep me out for hopefully too too long. What so. What is the injury? So it's just a really bad bruising to the arm. Um, initially, my biggest fear was that something broke because I did hear uh, quite an uncomfortable noise. And normally I don't stop competing uh, too, too easily. Like I've had a few broken noses and you, know, you just kind of can keep going through some of that stuff but I just knew as straight as the impact I took a kick right on the arm and uh, then the doctor came over had a look and and just said that was it and obviously when that happens you don't really get a choice in it if they take you out you don't um you don't get to go on and compete so you were facing last year's silver medalist uh I help me with the pronunciation here it's Anita Saragonia uh, I all I know is Anita. After Great. that, I'm kind of the same as you. But <laughs> sounds she, a bit right. <laughs> she's from Ukraine, uh, hence the name. Uh, but that was who you were fighting when you when you had to withdraw. Tell us about the preparation going into that fight. Like, how are you? How are you feeling? Uh, just kind of on the day is it like I felt pretty good um, like once we got through the lead up to the competition that that was kind of all the stress over and so like the warm up was great we even got our coach in um, our coach got a coaching pass so everything was going well the warm up went well and I was feeling confident because I just I knew like she was good I knew it was a tough draw um, but at the same time I knew if I got a good start that I could beat her like I always believe that I can win going into everything even if uh, nobody else around me does like I always have that belief but um, just one of those things and just a bit of bad luck uh, on top of the kind of recent events so like very disappointed after it but at the same time I'm not giving up just yet You mm. won your first title in kickboxing at the age of 16 
and the world stage. How did you get into kickboxing? Uh, very randomly, I wanted to play football, um, but the Gaelic club beside me just weren't taking girls at the time. So it was a long time ago, um, and then um, I I just fell or just fell upon like the local kickboxing club in Sligo, um, and then just once I had a couple of sessions, that was it. There was no stopping me. I just loved it, so I was just training every day or every chance I got. So yeah, I was thinking about uh, kickboxing as a sport earlier because you know people who grow up in athletics they have you know Sonia or they have like you know now you'd have Kira McGeehan or Phil Healy you've like a wealth of athletes um, and it's the same for people who do those kind of more prominent top tier sports like GA or football or soccer or whatever um, but what about you when you were growing up did you have heroes in the sport or were your heroes people outside the sport um, yeah I did like I actually loved Sonia O'Sullivan probably because she was like the only female athlete I ever really saw uh, and then I was a massive Roy Keane fan as well uh, but I don't know why I just never ended up in either of those two sports <laughs> probably because there wasn't that much choice around me um, at the time but yeah they would have been people I would have really looked up to uh, probably very different characters like but yeah I loved them as athletes um, there wasn't like kickboxing was a really minority sport like 20 odd years ago when I started even more so than now Um but it was just uh, they, it just happened to be beside me kind of where I grew up and that's kind of how I got started with it Andy excellent mm-hmm. and just to speak a bit about your illness I suppose so you, you were kind of at a stage where you were competing training a lot and then you, you were kind of going through these bouts of tiredness and, and sickness what was the catalyst that kind of spurred you on to, to get checked out and you know when when did you kind of realise that it just wasn't normal Uh probably longer than than it should have taken me like so for years I was having symptoms and it was just getting progressively worse and worse so um, it wasn't necessarily a decision that I made to go get checked out it was a case that I just collapsed and it was there was just no going any further and it was the first time that my mum had seen how sick I was and I was vomiting blood at this stage and it was just like I was getting really really sick so uh, by the time I just literally collapsed from exhaustion and illness I was taken to hospital so mm-hmm. kind of took me to completely my body just completely broke down before I did anything about it um, so it was kind of frustrating looking back because I could have probably had maybe some better performances during the time I was sick but at the same time like uh, since I got diagnosed and got medicine and all that sort of stuff like I haven't really looked back so it's been pretty good since then One of the things I think one of the stories that we often hear from female athletes is that they when they are sick and you know nobody really knows themselves as well as athletes do you know your body you know uh how you feel probably more so than the general population um uh, but then when you are sick there's there can be a tendency to be overly dismissive of it and chalk all of your ailments up to tiredness so or to training sorry so you're tired well you're training too much uh you swell in joints of course you do you're training too much um you're sick well you just got too nervous at, an, at a competition you're you're anxious jitters like everything is explained away by training and uh, the story that we kind of hear again and again is that female athletes have to really advocate for themselves um was that the the case for yourself or do you think that the fact that your gp was a, a sportsman himself a retired sportsman did did he take it a bit more seriously uh, your complaints or or yeah how are you how are you treated when you dealt with um, when you presented with these things yeah i definitely agree with it that you put an awful lot of 
when you're feeling sick down to training like I used to get really bad joint pain like my ankles would be so swollen and I just com- was convinced it was injury and same with my wrists I would just think oh, I punched somebody the wrong way and my wrist is now sore or uh, like people used to say oh gosh she's so hot and cold with performances and I used to think oh it's a psychological thing but actually when I look back I was really sick and I just thought it was like you said mm. nerves or anxious or so like from that point of view you do explain it away um, but like I've been very lucky as soon as I went to my GP and went to like the guys in St. Vincent's like they've been brilliant they took me seriously straight away um, and then once I got kind of results of the first test like I was diagnosed really quickly compared to what some people say it took only a matter of weeks but it was probably my fault that I didn't do it in about it sooner so yeah. yeah the diagnosis was Crohn's disease yeah and was there ever kind of a moment that you, you thought that was the end for you that was it with, with sport definitely like for about six months I thought I was done because um, well, most people around me like they like did care about me, but they wanted me to quit because they were just thinking it was putting too much pressure on myself. And you know, I'd got to the stage where I'd won enough, or you know, according to everybody else. And <laughs> um, but like, I didn't want to kind of end on that. I didn't want it to be the the last thing that I did. So yeah, for about six months, I thought that was it. I'm done. Uh, in and out of hospital on a lot of kind of painkillers and. Um, but then I just said, look, I'll take it like a step by step. I just kind of try and get back training, even if I don't get good again, like at least I can train. And then all of a sudden I was back doing competitions. And I think it took about kind of a year later before I was back kind of winning kind of a decent level, a kind of international level. So I was delighted I got back. But at the time I thought it was I was done. Like, but when yeah. you were when you were coming back to, to training Crohn's disease, uh, if I understand it and correct me if I'm wrong, is an inflammatory bowel disease. And that must be really difficult to manage for uh, an athlete who competes in a sport that places so much emphasis on your diet. Like you have to make weight. Um, like how do you kind of manage those two things? Um, yeah, it it is very difficult and it's still like... So you could still have an event where you have a flare up and that means there's not a lot you can do about it. You just have to accept that you can't compete or you might compete really badly. Um, but that's kind of just the I've kind of come to accept that uh, when it came to weight, like I, I used to fight at a much lower weight and it used to kill me like the stuff I used to do. I'd sit in saunas for hours and I'd eat lettuce for about three weeks and just until I made the weight. So I gave up all of that, stopped doing that crazy stuff. And now I just moved up. So I'm fighting at six kilos heavier than I used to fight, uh, which has been much easier. And it just so happens that it's um kind of a better option for me for qualification for the Olympics there's more places at this weight category in, in karate so that has helped me as well but yeah you just can't you can't put your body under that it just won't do it it gets to the stage where it just says no way I'm not doing this again so yeah we read it I read an interview I think with you where you, you spoke about how you landed yourself back in hospital eating nothing but carrot soup for a week yeah did that, you that like? happened <laughs> <laughs> it actually uh, well, when I think back to the insanity of it but that's what I used to do I just that's all I would consume for like for days at a time but this particular time I didn't blend the soup properly so there was like a kind of chunk of carrot and I got stuck because there was a lot of inflammation just kind of in the somewhere along the gut and it took like about a week for that bit of carrot to pass through so I was just on like really severe painkillers and on a drip for a day a week and yeah. that was then that's when everybody came in and said stop doing these diets you're gonna really really hurt yourself so. do some serious damage yeah yeah absolutely so you took a hiatus to, to kind of get your health back in check and then in 2017 you came back to win the Irish Open yeah is that right which you said was is harder to win than the world championships right 
Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, being an athlete myself, most athletes coming back to a sport after a lot, like if, even a few weeks out, you know, let alone a year, you kind of would say your first competition or your first event, you're just going to find your feet again. But you said that you were determined to go and, and win it. You know, just can you explain to us a bit about that mindset you had then? Yeah, um, I think the reason behind it was because I was now being like, I didn't want to be known, oh, that's the girl that used to be good at kickboxing. Now she's got, like, she's sick. So I wanted it, even if it was going to be my last one, I was like, I at least have to get a medal here. I really want to win and just prove all these people wrong. Uh, and probably prove myself wrong as well because I wasn't sure I could do it. Um, but yeah, I picked that, like, the Irish Open was one of my favourite World Cups because, probably because I had a bit of success at it before, but um, you get, like, the best fighters from every country but you get two number twos and threes and fours which makes it a little bit more competitive um so as much as I wanted to win it but I, I still didn't put massive pressure on myself I just thought look I'm gonna give it my best shot and for whatever reason things just went well that day and I managed to to win it so happy days and <laughs> do you remember that fight do you remember kind of the moment that it was announced you won did you just have because I, I mean imagining it it must have been like okay, I'm back, I've done this. Like, you must have just felt so proud, so self-realised. Yeah, like, I, I remember, I don't remember the fight at all. I remember just, like, the end of it and thinking, oh, I think I won because I looked over <laughs> at the scores. Uh, but yeah, you do. You kind of have that feeling that, okay, now I know that I'm back and even if, like, I was to never win anything else again, at least I've done something that I didn't think I could do. But at the same time, even if it hadn't like worked out, I was still more happy that I'd given it my best shot and that I'd managed to get back to a position where I could even train every day and, and compete. Because the main thing, well, for me, the main reason I'm doing this is that I love it. Like it's, even if you never win, you're a little bit disappointed. I'm not going to lie, there is that competitive side, but getting to do something you love every day, like is just the dream. So yeah, it's happy. Nice. So can you tell us a bit about your first karate competition? <laughs> the first one oh gosh uh, so that was a bit of a, um, an experience so I did a local competition in Dublin and I, I think I was training for about three weeks uh, and I just entered and like I had no idea what I was doing I um, was throwing all these kickboxing techniques I was getting in trouble for hitting too hard because in kickboxing it's like you can hit much harder karate is much limited contact so that was a bit of a learning curve for me. But um, then I did my second one. Then I did the national championships after about two months. Um, and I managed to, I don't know how, but I managed to win that one. So once I kind of got that little bit um, of confidence under my belt, I started to enjoy it. And I'd say after about like 10 or 11 months, I thought, yeah, I'm going to give this a go. I absolutely love it. So it's good. You said after the Irish Open, I started credit too. And who knows? There might be a few new goals in that if it turns out I'm any good at When did you actually take up karate? So I started uh, my first class in January of 2017. And then uh, I wasn't really taking it seriously. Like I was just doing maybe one or two classes a week. But really I was training every day kickboxing. Um, and that was the goal. And the idea behind it was... Well, it was going to kickboxing. I was getting really stressful and like I wasn't really enjoying it as much. And then like at the back of my mind, I did know that karate was in the Olympics in 2020. But I didn't want to make the big jump and say, you know, within two weeks, oh, I'm going to try and go to the Olympics because I could end up really disliking the sport. So I trained for about six or eight months. And then that's kind of when I thought, yeah, I really like this. 
And you made the national squad then really quickly in less than a year after you made the switch kind of permanently to karate being your, your primary sport. That must have been really rewarding to see your hard work and this decision pay off so hugely in, in such a short space of time. Yeah, I was delighted. I wasn't really sure what to expect because when I started, I realized there's actually quite um, a re- like a big pool of girls that are competing in this and like it's quite competitive. So it's not like I was the only girl coming in to look for a spot in the team and, and I got it. Um, so it kind of meant more to me that like it's competitive. There's a lot of people looking for these spots and that I was able to first be brought onto the squad, but then, um, you know, get to a European championship so quickly. So, yeah, I was delighted. And what's the difference between both setups, karate and kickboxing? Um, so it's kind of, there is quite a lot of differences between them. So when I first started, I started looking up on YouTube, all the different fights. I thought, oh, this is going to be easy. I'm going to do this. It's going to be no problem. Uh, but as soon as I started competing, I realized it's actually much more difficult. So it looks quite similar. So the, the area that you compete on is the same. You're obviously kicking and punching in both of them. The target areas are different in karate that you can kick um, kick on the back, whereas you can't in kickboxing. Um, kickboxing wear head guards, but then you can hit harder. And then the main difference and the one that I've struggled the most with is that karate is a lot more technical. So I punch somebody and I don't get a point and I can't understand why. And it's because I haven't done maybe the punch clean enough or I've maybe kicked too hard or something like that. So that has been the biggest learning curve. So um, there's quite a big difference when it comes to the technique side of it. Um, but like I'm, I'm improving all the time and uh, hopefully I'll. Hopefully I'll get there in the next year. Cardi doesn't yet receive the kind of funding that um, some other sports going for Olympic glory receive. So, and you've just said, you know, when you were taking up Cardi, you did a couple of classes. Like, what is the actual gym set up like? Are there, is it practiced in two different gyms? Do you go, at the time you were doing both, uh, did you, yeah, did you have to go to two different gyms? Like, where, where do you practice it, I suppose? So, yeah, um, the place that I went to is over in Santry and there's a full time gym there or like a full time martial arts center. Um, and I went out to train with the Irish head coach, which is Paul Brennan. Um, and they train kind of they have set classes on evenings and on weekends as well. So I just kind of at the start, I was doing my kickboxing um, either first thing in the morning or in the evenings in Tala. Um, and then I was probably cutting down a bit on those kind of classes to go over and train in Santry um, but yeah even though it's not funded there there is like a, we have great facilities and we're really lucky um, with that and we have a really good tr- uh, coaching setup so like funding will be great but at the same time you don't need it you know when I say don't need it it's a kind of um, you'd, f- you'd spend the money if you had it but yeah, you'll exactly. be alright with it <laughs> yeah pr- pretty much like that I don't want to say don't need it they'll all be saying oh they don't need funding <laughs> but uh, you know you can still I think be world class without without funding if you have the right mindset and, and the right work ethic you can still do it and it's no secret that your your aim is is, a, is an Olympic medal and I'm sure that comes with a lot of training. Uh, can you give us a bit of an insight into kind of what a weekly regime is for you? Yeah, so I train uh, as hard as I can. I probably don't train, I've, I've cut back because I used to overtrain. I used to do almost two or three sessions every day, which was mm. led me to kind of burn out as well as working. So now I train six days a week. Um, between four or five of those, I'll do an extra session. So I'll do about 10 sessions, 10 or 11 sessions a week. Um, but I think the biggest thing for like a lot of people think I'm crazy saying you can start a new sport and um, win an Olympic medal in three years. 
Uh, but like, I just think you have to try these things. A lot, the same people said I wouldn't win a national title and I've won two. The same people said I wouldn't score a point and I'm starting to do that. So um, this is like the story of my life has always been like, who do you think you are thinking you can do that? So now I just think like I work really hard, but I think if you have the right mindset, um, you give yourself the best chance of success. So like I, I can't guarantee that it'll happen. But if I keep training the way I'm training and I think if you keep that mindset um, you give yourself a shot of of doing it, so that's kind of what I do every week. Yeah, I, I think it's it's incredible, you know. And when, when we met a few weeks ago and we were chatting about your story, um, I like just jumped on the the bandwagon straight away for me, you know, because it, it is crazy, you know. But I think that's what makes it exciting, and it, and it's it's very respectful to to you know speak to someone and, and and see someone who's working so hard for something that they have to really, you know kind of squash everything into such a, a tight time frame and and I think you do have to think a little bit crazy to achieve yeah absolutely like I just think like if you, all your goals are something you absolutely know you can do it's a bit boring like I think you have to just maybe stretch it and just go for it uh, it probably doesn't help as well that I'm like older than the typical athlete and I have Crohn's disease for sure look I may as well just go for it anyway and if I if I can do it then even better so you like a challenge anyway that we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll let you away with that one um you also have a, a master's in um sports psychology and one of the things that I was wondering when I was researching um, you as an athlete, Cara, was I wondered whether or not that gave you like the tools to really verbalise what your actual goal is, this like Olympic dream, this Olympic medal. Like so often we hear female athletes almost, it's not a humble brag, but they almost dismiss or play down their goals. So, you know, oh yeah, well, we're just taking it game by game. Uh, we're just going to run the mile you're in, you know. And you've just gone a little bit balls to the wall and said, yeah, I'm going for an Olympic gold. Like, I'm going for an Olympic medal. That's what I'm doing. Like, do you think that your your training um, in sports psychology has, has given you, like, empowered you, I suppose, to, uh, to be able to say those and identify those goals? Um, probably, yeah. I mean, I was always fascinated with the kind of psychology side of sports. So that was what led me to do the Masters. And um, since that, I've just become a massive believer that your mindset like you can do all the training and you can have the you know all the the right techniques and all of that sort of stuff but if you don't have the right mindset it's very hard to be successful so I like I know it's a bit of a, a bold statement to say that's what I want to do but like since I was young that's what I dreamed of I didn't dream of going to an Olympic Games I didn't dream of um, you know taking part in a sport and those dreams are perfectly acceptable if that's what people dream of doing but I always dreamed of winning the Olympics so I I'm not ashamed to say it out loud and I know people out there and, and some people in the midst of all this have have laughed at me but you know those are the same people that are probably not really going after their dreams so I don't really give them much much attention Um. so yeah I'd say the psychology definitely kind of has made me be able to come out and say that a little bit more um, and it might never happen but I just think there's no point in living with any regrets so I'm just going to go for it I think it's really brave I think it's really admirable um, and I think uh, we do an awful lot more for women in sport if an awful lot more women took a leaf out of that 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 book oh thank you we'll see how it goes anyway <laughs> that must have really equipped you with some tools and lessons for how not to let things like repeated injuries illnesses or the politics of sport get you down how have you kept your focus during turbulent times um yeah good question i'd say if i was to go back let's just say to the world championships in november 
Um, I definitely let certain things in the lead up get to get to me, you know, from a me- mental preparation point of view. Um, but I think um, the whole sports psychology does help you deal with setbacks and you have to be resilient because I don't know, maybe there's one or two athletes in the world that have never had something go wrong, but I think most people have had setbacks, whether it's injuries, sickness, bad results, something not going your way or bad form. Um, And if you're to give up at that point, then you're probably never going to see success. So I think you have to just keep getting back and trying. Um, but I think the the easiest thing for me to keep trying is that I'm enjoying it. So as long as I enjoy the sport and I'm I'm having fun, then it doesn't feel like kind of hard work to get back and train. It's just something that I love to do. As much as I'd rather not have, like let's just say this injury right now, um, I've no intentions of giving up just because I know when I get back I'm going to enjoy it again. It's one thing to have to deal with, like injuries or sickness or you know those almost standard things that come part and parcel with uh, being an athlete and, and being one in a, almost a combat sport. But your sport has also been plagued with personality politics and power plays that go on behind the scenes that have brought, yeah, brought karate into the spotlight for, for negative reasons rather than for celebrating the achievements of its athletes. So help us Talk us through a little bit about about what's happened. So from what I understand of it, um, and this is, karate is not my sport. <laughs> so uh, this is based on a kind of a, a, an initial Google and a deep dive into um, what's already been, been written. But uh, last year, Peter Coyle was removed as, as president by a vote of no confidence. Um, and after he was removed from the governing body, which at the time was called Craddy Ireland Onaki. Onakai, yeah. Onakai, oh, yeah. so close. Yeah, very so good. Onakai, Onakai. <laughs> I'm glad you Sorry. took that one. It took me about a year to learn how to say that so well. <laughs> but he then decided that this vote that ousted him was illegitimate and he then uh, was going to basically set up his own governing body called Onakai. Yeah, Onakai. Onakai. Maybe it is Onakai, Onakai. Maybe he called it a different thing. But he then wrote to the World Karate Federation. He explained this. Uh, they recognised him as the governing body um, and Sport Ireland meanwhile recognised the initial Craddy Ireland on a key yeah. on a key, um, <laughs> governing body uh, so since then there's basically been two governing bodies one recognised by World Craddy Federation and one recognised by Sporting Ireland is that the case? Yeah so, like sort of so okay. wh- where it's at now is there's still the same governing body but within that there's two groups okay um, the, the, where it gets confusing is so for before 2016 the governing body was always called Onakai and then they rebranded in 2016 to call themselves Karate Ireland Onakai so what what the Peter Coyle and, and a group of kind of his um, I guess uh, I suppose other representatives they went back and reverted to the old name so within the governing party you have two groups and he and his group are recognised and, and have the mandate for the World Federation and then Sport Ireland and the Olympic Federation recognise the same group they've always recognised and they did a legal review into the whole uh, motion of no confidence and they found that the procedures were all to be according to the constitution so there's been like there's obviously more to that that maybe I'm not privy to or that like is a lot more complicated but that's it in a a nutshell and what's happened then is we because we don't have access to the competition um the the group Omnikai 
to try to stop us from competing at um, at more than one event for since kind of this has started with me personally since September last year they tried to say that I couldn't go to Chile which I had like booked and booked flights accommodation everything I think it was days before and then eventually that was permitted then there was the same kind of scenario with Madrid and that's just like it was a whole mess so that's where they stopped all our coaches and mm. telling us what we had to wear and who we could speak to we weren't allowed to speak to anyone outside the delegation which of course I disobeyed and and then it was you know your future selection is dependent on your behavior all this sort of stuff so then I started again with uh, another event in the start of March um, which we were then allowed to compete in but we didn't re- know we were going to be allowed to compete until we actually arrived in Austria and then the same happened for the European Championships. But that's when the World Federation stepped in and said, uh, we're going to enter that league. So we were ultimately we were entered in by the World Federation, but we represented Ireland. So it's very complicated. Um, but I guess the one thing I would say about the event just gone as much as I got injured in it, um, there wasn't near as much stress. So mm-hmm. we had obviously our own coach coaches and then we had the other group that were there as well. But between that leads, it was actually uh, for, you know, there was no issues. There was no no kind of stress. And, um, you, you know, it's probably just worth mentioning that for, for the first time in months. Like I, you kind of felt like you could go and relax and nobody's going to stop you about, you know, which way you're looking or, you mm. you know, that sort of stuff. So, And due to that fallout, the, there was three coaches, including the head and assistant women's coach that were prevented from any involvement with Irish la- athletes at, WKF World Championships you made the decision to stick by your coach Paul and you know I I think it must have been incredibly frustrating for you trying to kind of train and and prepare and compete Um, how did you manage just to kind of navigate through all the chaos and and stay focused Um, probably very badly (laughs) (laughs) Um, so for the World Championships that was difficult because every day something happened it was like really toxic the whole environment and there's so much drama and it's like it's not the type of stuff you you should have around you preparing for a world championships especially for like when it's so important for olympic qualification but we did our best like myself and and the rest of the girls were were training hard and like our two coaches Eamon and Paul they were very good at trying to just say right you're in training now everything stays outside we're going to train for the next couple hours and then you know see what happens after that but um yeah it was it was quite difficult to like to do that to stay focused but I guess we did the best the best that we could anyway and are they your coaches like Paul um when you're competing is he allowed to attend or or is there no contact to be made at all so what happened for the world championships and this was um it was like obviously on a personal level it was really difficult because i'm quite reliant on my coaches to train us all the time and you have use of video replay cards and you need a coach that actually knows how to use it because if you as an athlete signal to use video replay you get penalized you're not allowed to do it um so that was difficult because he had to sit in the he he came over to the world championships with us but he had to sit and watch in the stands um so at that point um I had a coach who I didn't know I'd never met before 
um, and for whatever reason uh, didn't opt to use this video replay, replay card that I, I believe would have um, maybe got me through the next round and, and the opponent that I had went right through the next round she's ranked in the top 15 in the Olympic rankings now so like you can be bitter and you can say oh maybe that could have changed it I know like there's always a chance I could have lost regardless so I can't really say for sure um, then for the European Championships, things were a bit better. So we got our we got one coach in pass. We still like both our coaches travelled with us, um, but we only were able to get one coach in pass. But it was it was brilliant because it meant that you know we we gave ourselves at least a, the best chance that we could. You're so, so positive about the situation, um, but it reads it. I mean, when you kind of look at it on paper, the whole situation is bonkers. It is yeah. bonkers. Like you know that athletes are getting emails saying that you can't speak to anyone outside of the Irish delegation and you know failure to comply with this may mean that you're not selected to compete as an Irish athlete again um and the fact that even that this this kind of group who are not recognized by Sport Ireland have retained the power to enter athletes into international competition boggles my mind like scrambles my brain so we've we know that kind of now the world uh, karate federation gave you guys passes to compete just a couple of weeks ago last week um and Sporting Ireland have done the review and have offered mediation like how does this actually end like we're I mean Tokyo 2020 is we can count it in months away yeah. so like how do we resolve this um, you know yeah, from an athlete's perspective it's it's crazy really because we still don't know um there, there's one more so I guess there's a few more positives so the next few events that are Olympic qualifiers um, I can be entered in let's just say through my club it doesn't have to be only one person per country in that way category so even if they decide to select somebody else above me who's maybe ranked 300 places below me um, it won't stop me from entering the competition so once we got through the world and the European Championships that's kind of a big hurdle um, then but there, there will be a European Championships next year, but I'm really hoping that it's sorted by then. I know in the kind of background there's arbitration and mediation, all those kind of stuff are going on. But I guess for our biggest concern was that these things can take, like the legal side of them can take years or months. And by the time this could be all over, the Olympics could be over as well. Um, I guess the only thing that I feel happy about is that I didn't... Um, compromise what I believe to be right everybody has different kind of values and, and different things that they believe in but I really felt it would have been against everything that I believe in to to switch sides and to switch kind of to the other group and it's not a personal thing it's just the governance side of it and, and all sorts and, and a bit of loyalty to my own coaches so from that point of view I'm happy that I didn't have to do that I just hope now that um, the Olympic Federation of Ireland and Sport Ireland like they have been very supportive so I just hope that they keep that going and they can do whatever um, possible to get this solved so that the next few events aren't going to be as stressful uh, like as stressful um, mm. and I think for like for me I've been doing sport a long time so I'm kind of used to some of this and if it doesn't work out like it won't be the end of the world for me but I feel like if if I had been 18 or 19 going through this it would have been far more difficult and that's what most of the squad are that kind of age or in their early 20s like so I can only imagine that it's it's a lot more difficult at that age I, I think as well though for yourself like it it would have been easy for you like a lot of older athletes like you know seen in the past maybe you get to an age where you know you, you know 
the end is near or you know what are you trying close. to say <laughs> you know but you know they kind of might turn a blind eye to some things knowing that you know oh I, I don't want to put myself in a position where I might not get to compete or play and I think being an older athlete it's it's there's it's a lot of respect to you to stick by what you believe in um, and I think you know regardless of what happens you've uh, a lot of respect from a lot of people because of that. Yeah, thanks a million. I don't. I don't know now. I, I, maybe it's. Maybe it is like uh, as you say. I could have have done it that way, but I kind of feel the age has been a bit more on my side because you have a bit more confidence and you you kind of know exactly what it is that you believe in and you're. Um, like I I know the fact that I spoke out on social media or said anything about this it was going to impact me I knew that and I did get trolled on online by some members you know just like like just for example and uh, when I suspected that I almost like my arm was in a really bad way and uh, one of the coaches from the other group put on social media laughing that I, I got beaten and you know just you know had a, an awful uh, low blow at me but that is a really low blow yeah, well, that's that's kind of has been typical of what they've said. And as if their opinion is going to, you know, it's not like I'm going to read and say, oh, he's right. I better give up. <laughs> but, um, you know, at the same time, it just kind of shows I think it shows more what those people are like mm. rather than, you know, what we're about. But um, yeah, so that that kind of stuff has just been part of it. But you just have to like sometimes it does get you and, you know, you kind of just think, oh, you know, it's it's bad enough. You're injured, you're out of the European Championships and then you have to look at that stuff. Um, but at the same time, I think in the long run, it'll be better. Like it'll work out hopefully for for the next next few competitions anyway. You've recently said I've always felt somewhat voiceless in a sector that has always been heavily male dominated, dominated. Uh, that's really admirable, you know, that, as I said already, at a stage when you could have just kept quiet and tried to just keep your mind focused on, on Tokyo so you wouldn't risk being removed from competition. But you didn't do that. You you, you spoke out. And, and why was it important for you to do that? Not just from for, for a personal perspective, but, you know, for females in the sport in general. Um, I guess it's because... Like I, I've worked in sport and then I've, I've seen, not maybe not to this extreme, I've never really been involved in anything this bizarre because that's the only word for yeah, it. It is bonkers. Like yeah, it is it's, bizarre. it's crazy. And people, like you know, I try and explain it to people and they're like, no, but that, that can't be real life. And it, like, I'm, it is real life. But I guess the reason was that I, I've been through similar, maybe less serious kind of issues like this before. And I, I didn't say enough. Like I might have complained, but... Um, I didn't probably say as much as I wanted wanted to say. And the the thing about it is you don't feel good. You can win medals uh, by putting up with really dodgy circumstances, but you don't feel good after it. You're kind of thinking, oh, well, maybe I'll be happy when I win the next one or the next one. And I guess there's a stage that if you're compromising your values and, and what you believe in, it's not like it, to me, it's just not worth it. So um, that was kind of why, why I felt that I had to say something. But I, I do think in general, athletes don't have enough say in how sport is run. And I think that without athletes, you're not going to have sport. So there has to be a little bit more of athlete representation and, and in particular more female athletes getting a voice because um, otherwise you just have people running away with the sport and they don't necessarily always know what's in the best interest. Um, mm. So obviously some people do. I'm not trying to say that that's the case and mm. everything, but I think it's no harm to have a bit more of kind of female athletes and, and athletes in general having a say in how sport is run. I think you've really earned the right to say that given your experience with Cardi Ireland. It's not um <laughs> you're not a yeah, you've really you've really earned that right. Um 
you've you've been a champion of female athletes and women in sport back since before 20 by 20 made it cool um <laughs> you were a sky sports athlete mentor and you also worked with uh sport for schools and our old pal sharon hutchinson in, in sportswomen.ie um when you're not on the mat what are the kind of career ambitions outside of karate um so i love talking uh, and telling stories <laughs> so great if i can <laughs> if i can uh keep on doing work so i, I still do some athlete mentoring and uh, i do speaking at events but I'm, I'm starting to dabble now into kind of organizing events as well because i would love to kind of get more into getting sports people to talk and um and to share their experiences with kind of younger people as well so that's kind of what i do at the minute um to kind of because I have uh, you know as a as a career option and um I really enjoy that like I love kind of just explaining and trying to promote sport as well because I I definitely would have loved to have seen like female athletes come into my school when I was young and and that just didn't happen so now I get the opportunity to kind of do some more of that stuff which is great um longer term I'd love to do more on kind of um I guess athlete activism that would be something that I'd be passionate down the line but who knows where that'll take me uh, I might change my mind completely in a couple of years and say oh enough of that we'll, well see when you've got <laughs> an, an Olympic medal hanging up at home it might, might look differently <laughs> yeah yeah exactly but that'd be the plan anyway so fingers crossed excellent and you're in the lead up to literally the fight of your life which is Olympic glory and you've just come home from the European Championships, which was a part of qualification. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a bit about that process and, and when is the next competition for you? Yeah, so um, the the biggest, I guess, the biggest disappointment at the European Championships was the fact that I've now missed out on the European Games because that was a direct qualifier for the European Games that's in June of this year. Um, and that would have been a massive goal of mine to get there. Um, but at the same time, I still got ranking points um, for Tokyo. Uh, I've missed on a couple of ranking events because because I'm so new I don't qualify for the higher level events and that's kind of the biggest thing that I'm going after the minute to get ranking points to get me into the Premier League events Um, so the next kind of year up until April 2020 it's going to be a case of going to as many of those events as possible collect ranking points but my biggest target now is the qualification tournament um, and that's in May of 2020 in Paris Um, but the, I mean, it gives me about a year or 30 months to really get, um, I guess, experience at this level uh, and fighting all these girls. And I think that's the most important thing is the more you fight and more you compete against the highest level, the better you get. Uh, so I know some people in Onakai would like to say, oh, you know, you're not good enough and keep us all at home and, and never do anything exciting. Um, but I think it's more about getting out there, competing, collecting ranking points. But um, getting through on the ranking is quite difficult at this stage. So I'll be targeting a top three finish at the qualification tournament in uh, June of next year. What um, You've spoken about the importance of your coach a bit, um, but you're heading into an Olympic cycle um, whilst doing the same as kind of every other female athlete or most other female athletes, you know, managing a day job and uh, probably some sort of social life as well, <laughs> like, you know, personal life. Just about. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that fable thing called work-life balance. Um, but what? tell us a little bit about your, your support network. You've got an amazing relationship with your coach uh, and trainer, Paul Brennan, by the sounds of things, but um, are you, is everything else set up for you to, to, to reach your goal? 
Yeah, I think so. Like, um, and like, there's there's also Eamon. So my, both my coaches, Paul's the head coach, and then we've Eamon as the assistant coach. They're they're absolutely brilliant. But I'm also really lucky that I have a brilliant training partner, Shauna. Uh, her name's Shauna as well. Um, and she's no, she's dropped down two weights, so we're a little bit further apart now in weight categories. But we train really hard together. But there's a big kind of group of athletes that train every day, and we push each other really hard. So that from that point of view, it's really good. Then I have like the best family and friends ever. I'm really, really lucky. So um, kind of I'd be lost without them. They kind of understand that, you know, I'm feeling antisocial for a few weeks at a time and then I want to take a few days off and, and we'll do something that's not sport related at all. So, yeah, from that point of view, like everything is good. Um, and I know I'm really lucky. Like I also have a really good kind of GP and medical team that like if I have a flare up or if anything's wrong, they're kind of doing whatever they can to help me out and to sort me out as quick as possible. So from that point of view, uh, everybody else bar a few little hiccups in the sport wants to help. So it's good. (laughs) That's good. That's good to hear. (laughs) You're also supporting your own uh, Olympic goal yourself financially. So how much, I suppose, do you need to do that? Um, And how and where can people help? Um, so it's quite expensive um, because of the way they, they you have to collect ranking points so you have to travel across the world so so far I've done some fundraising I did a GoFundMe campaign last year um, and that was really successful it got me to a lot of tournaments and then we did a concert at home so my mum is big into like traditional Irish music so all her friends played a concert um, and that was just like a great laugh but we raised a lot of money as well um, so the plan this year will probably be to do something similar as well and um, if people do want to support me uh, have a GoFundMe so all you have to do is just type my name C-A-R-A-D-H into GoFundMe and it'll pop up so uh, that'll be the plan and I'm I'm hopeful that we might uh, you know get a little bit of grant support but uh, at the minute with all the kind of governance issues it doesn't really look like Sport Ireland are in a position to do that so fingers crossed yeah you never um, know yeah and we'll of course link to all of those things in the show notes and on, on Twitter and stuff as well um, Cara this has been an incredible chat uh, we are just such major fans of you as an athlete and, and <laughs> in general as a person um, you have two big fans here well, uh, thanks Emil <laughs> three sorry Cathy <laughs> uh, and we have a feeling that there's still so much more uh, to come in your story we really hope you'll maybe come back uh, into Fair Game HQ and and tell us more as we as we go on so uh, listen thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to oh. come and chat to us we, we just really appreciate you thank thanks you so much so much for having me it's been, it's been brilliant cheers excellent you can follow Cara on Twitter at Cara O'Donovan and stay up to date with her journey via her website cara.com and don't forget to share and if you can support her qualification journey via her GoFundMe page and while you're on Twitter follow us too at FairGameCast there's so much live action involving sportswomen to look forward to in the coming months and that's where we'll provide you with all of the necessary info to keep you in the loop and hopefully get you out onto the sidelines finally a reminder to subscribe to the podcast on whatever app you're listening to us on be it iTunes Android Stitcher or Spotify that way you'll get the next one delivered directly to you that's all for this episode and we'll chat to you again soon